0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. It's time for a Tech Stuff classic episode. This episode originally published on January 28th, 2015. It is called Tech Stuff Listens to Negative Land. Negative Land being a kind of outsider music group transgressive music group if you if you will um, also ties into topics that we've talked about recently on tech stuff like copyright and fair use and I hope you enjoy you know
1: how many time zones there are in the Soviet Union power and all that that's power we got so much power that's ridiculous we have uh, power 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 what you're power,
0: hearing power, is power, the work man. of a performance group ridiculous. called we negative so land. The band creates interesting sounds from a combination of electronics, musical instruments, and an enormous library of pre-recorded audio from sources as diverse as political speeches to music numbers to old television commercials.
1: Guess what? what? Guess what?
0: I spoke with Mark Hostler, one of the founding members of Negative Land. Our conversation lasted for more than two hours, and we talked about topics like art, music, intellectual property, and more. Well, this episode has highlights from that conversation. I really learned a lot, and the first thing I wanted to know was how Mark got interested in this type of art in the first place.
1: I was really into all kinds of music as a teenager, and there was just some kind of record that I I wanted to hear that didn't seem to exist. And so, at some point, when I was sixteen or seventeen, you know, I said, "Well, I want to uh, let's make we're going to make that record," and that's what we did. And it came out when I was still in high school.
0: The we, in this case, was Mark Hostler and Richard Lyons. Others would join Negative Land over the years, including Don Joyce, who hosts the band's weekly radio show, and Ian Allen, who passed away in early 2015. The group's membership changed many times throughout its existence, and each member contributed a unique perspective. And the band has always been about experimentation.
1: You've got a good beginning. Hit and and trial and error. It just depends again on breaking the records over radio we've been around an extremely long time. Uh, I've I've actually known the guys in the group for 36 years. Our first record came out in 1980. And for some reason, which I don't really quite understand, we all just love strange, weird, funny noises and found things and reusing stuff in ways they weren't intended to be used. And so our very first recordings were making tape loops where you could cut reel-to-reel recording tape and stick one end to the other and they'd repeat over and over again, you know, and echo and you could... stick pieces of metal into a guitar and make the guitar string sound all strange. And we, we were recording things off the TV and, and radio and our parents, you know, baking in the kitchen and, and the sound of the, our dog barking outside. And all this stuff made its way into our into our recorded work. And it was kind of surreal, dada, koofy collage. We also put in beats and sometimes sang little songs. And it had a somewhat pop kind of sensibility to it in a way, in a screwy sort of way. One, two, three. Stu-
0: the experiments would evolve into projects and while the tools the band used to create their sounds would change, the medium in which they worked would remain sound collage.
1: Collage is a medium that I think is one of the easiest art forms in the world, whether it was sound or film or um, visual art, to do something really crappy. (laughs) It's really easy to do collage and just have it be really mediocre. And I, but to, to, to really get it to where it's, it's, it's at a level that we think meets the, you know, our our standard, you know, it requires a lot of work and thinking about it. And we've had lots of pieces that get to a point, but they're just not there yet, you know, and we sit on them for six months or even a year later, we'll go back.
0: In fact, the band might sit on a piece for decades. One piece negative land, negative land recently revisited is a work called Cadillac. Like Cattle Act, I was begun by the Cadillac. late Ian Allen.
1: Well, I was thinking of a Cadillac, Cadillac. I will Cadillac, 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 like Cadillac, like Cadillac,
0: Alan first worked on the piece back in the 1980s. Before his death, Alan gave his blessing to Negative Land to revisit and finish the recording. Alan was also instrumental in shaping the band's cultural and social perspectives. Before long, the band was using its quirky techniques not just to make interesting sounds, but to provide commentary on various issues.
1: It just kept being really interesting that you could use collage, you know, to talk about stuff in this way that invited the listener to work on figuring out what you were getting at to some degree. You know, we don't spell everything out, but we try to do something where it's both about stuff, but there's something about it that's open enough that you're engaged and you're drawn in and you're trying to work with it. And hopefully that's the place where, you know, you get something out of it that's interesting and, and different for every person who hears it.
0: And because so many of the sounds Negative Land uses in its collage work are taken from other sources, you can't just assume that what you're hearing and what the band
1: itself thinks are necessarily the same thing. While we do sometimes actually write song lyrics and do songs, most of the, sp- the spoken word you hear in our work is is appropriated in collage. So it's not us saying it. We're not. The, it is not the author's voice. You're hearing that it's what we chose to use. Well, did we choose to use it because we agree with it? We disagree with it. We like it. We hate it. We think it's funny, stupid, smart, sad, creepy, annoying, You know, surreal. And usually for negative land, we'll, we, the things we pick to use will usually be something that will be many of those things all at the same time. is not the way of it. All that shouting.
0: All that noise. Ian All Allen's involvement noise. would lead to another pivotal moment this in Negative Land's development, meeting this Don Joyce. Joyce is a radio DJ who not only joined All Negative land noise. but also helped create a venue for the group to express themselves to a larger audience. It's called Over the Edge.
1: For Negative Land, one of the kind of laboratories for us to work on new ideas and try out new stuff is our weekly radio show. It's called Over the Edge. It's been on since 1981. It's still on to this day. And it's three hours of audio collage that's always about a theme of some sort or another. And Negative Land member Don Joyce is the one who's been kind of the steward of keeping that flame alive all these years. He uses old radio station cart machines, if any of you out there are radio Uh, makers or listeners are old enough to know he uses old school dead analog technology to play do live cut ups stuff on the air yeah we get to try out stuff and occasionally ideas emerge from that that we think are good enough to take out and turn into studio recordings or maybe a live show
0: And for those Negative Land fans who want to explore that material, band member Tom Maloney has been hard at work transferring files to archive.org so that the thousands of hours of programming will become available to anyone with an internet connection. It's a mind-blowingly huge amount of work that will be available for free. As any artist will tell you, art doesn't exist in a vacuum. Art doesn't just reflect the world around us. It comments on that world. We see elements of the artist's thoughts and feelings within his or her art. And while you might think that creating a collage out of appropriate material limits an artist's ability to comment upon the world, you'd be wrong. As Mark explained to me, collage is just another artistic medium, not significantly different from any other means of artistic expression.
1: Basically, to me, our work is no different than somebody who lives in a cave 10,000 years ago who takes a stick out of the fire and uses the burnt end to draw on the cave wall what's outside of his cave, which could be buffalo or a mammoth, you know. So that's no different than me taking a computer, a tape deck, a cassette deck, a real tool tape recorder, a digital capturing device, and I'm capturing the world around me that I live in, the world that's uh, in my home, the world that's outside my door, and that world is not just uh, walls and furniture and trees and blue sky and buildings. It's Advertisements, it's logos, it's pop songs, it's media, absolutely everywhere you go. I need a Pepsi. I a Pepsi. I a Pepsi. Got It's great. Let's look at these. Why is this commercial?
0: And so Negative Lands art often comments on these facets of life, the way messages are communicated to us, and how we are expected to react to them. Hi,
1: I'm me, and I'm using this to sell you this. Pepsi.
0: And there's another conversation happening as well, one about ideas, ownership, and a peculiar institution that has changed the way we treat concepts.
1: Corporations who are immortal, who now have these ideas of intellectual property, they own this stuff. They want to profit from it. They've privatized it. They've all said, you can consume it. We'll sell it to you. But don't ever think of messing with it. Don't think about doing anything with it because we own it. It's our property. And I'm kind of saying, well, no. It's not just your property because it's inside my head. <laughs> you know? It's in my brain. So I'm going to I think I'm allowed to do things that have been inserted into my brain. You know, I don't want to see your giant Pepsi billboard every time I drive into town. But I do. So, you know, I yes, I'm going to take some of your Pepsi ad and I'm going to cut it up and I'm going to use it in something that maybe makes fun of you. And in this case, it was a project Land did called Pepsi. Hopefully what you're compiling is uh, going to be a a positive uh, reflection of what Pepsi's all about and the makers of their advertising. So I think it's fair to say that if that's all the case, uh, yeah, this is part of the uh, marketing spin of Pepsi-Cola.
0: One of my favorite pieces by the band involves a surreal, absurd radio call-in show.
1: This is Pennywise. Joan, you're next. This is Sue. Ah. Hi, Sue. How can I help?
0: Jim, I really have a problem with impulse buying. I never mm. have money left for
1: anything. Oh, my. That's a piece Jim, called Jim, Truth in Advertising. In and that was uh, buying, where we were able to buying. take it so that every time the talk show host hung up on the caller to go to the next caller, it was the same caller over again Jim and really really over again problem. because of how Jim we were I able to edit it together. People. And that was all done. We've always used to call those edits razor tapes because those were done with analog reel-to-reel recorders. And uh, we would cut them with a razor blade you know, to rearrange those things. Okay, let's go to line four. This is Pennywise. I'm Jim Phillips, and your name is Bob. Hi, Bob. What can I do for you? I get confused by all the claims made in commercials. Ah, this is Pennywise. Line six. You're on, and your name is Bob. Uh, I think it definitely get kind of grabs your attention. There's a real rhythm. There's a real musicality to the way the voice has been is the uh, repeats itself and folds back in on itself. But but also it gets at something that actually is a real thing, which is about how advertising impacts us and how advertisers maybe aren't uh, telling you the truth, you know, and um, I don't think it's didactic. I don't think it's heavy handed. I don't think it's like we're wagging wagging our finger at you uh, about the the subject, Uh, but it does kind of get, get it out there.
0: We'll be right back with more of Tech Stuff Listens to Negative Land after these messages. It really hit me that what Mark and Negative Land are doing is incredibly challenging. Anyone can grab a dozen or so clips of sound and edit them together to make something new. But to create something that has a sense of musical rhythm, that can be entertaining, and that can also be a comment on our culture is extraordinary. It explains how the group can work on a project for years before it's ready to be released. Once it is released, that work can get a lot of attention. Negative Land is no stranger to criticism, controversy, or even legal action. In fact, one of their most famous works landed the group in legal trouble for several years, but it all started out
1: innocently enough. A fan at a show of ours handed us a cassette and uh, at a show that we were playing in Portland, Oregon, and it had outtakes of Top 40 DJ Casey Kasem having a really bad day in the studio. Casey Kasem, as you know, just passed away uh, this summer. And um, I think the engineer's revenge was to get these tapes out to some people in the public via cassette. Now, back then, the internet didn't exist. And so this stuff had a very, very limited uh, audience of just people sharing this stuff. And I think if it had come out now, we wouldn't have been inspired to make that record that we made because everyone would have had it. But we had something that was kind of Seemed very precious, you know, and and like you know, and and rare, and it was also you know pee your pants funny and just so inspiring. And he was trying to do a dedication to a family's dead dog, and he was trying to introduce a new song by a band. He got the name of their country ro- of origin incorrect, but it was a band who's been around as long as Negative Land has. That's group U2. That's the
0: letter U and the numeral 2. The four man band features Adam Clayton on bass, Larry Mullen on drums, Dave Evans, nicknamed The Edge, on. This is bull. Nobody cares. These guys are from England and who gives a.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: It's a lot of wasted names that don't
1: mean diddly. Sh- sh- sure and we ended up using doing a kind of a weird mutated cover version of a U2 song. We had uh, Negative Land member David Wills, the weatherman, do his own. Dramatic reinterpretation of Bono's lyrics. We used the Casey Kasem stuff. The song was I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And kind of at the end, when we were deciding how to present it. We ended up deciding to call the whole thing U2 by Negative Land. And originally, it was actually going to be U with a dash between the U and the two. Because that's actually how the U, that's a it's slight variation on U2's name, which has no dash. And the U2 is the airplane, the spy plane that was shot down. And it's where U2 stole their name from. In the course of designing the whole thing, our graphic designer we were working with, a guy named Randall Hunting, uh, he suggested that we could make the, um, the uh, he says, well, what, what about making the airplane, of uh, the YouTube airplane itself, which we were using as part of the cover design, what about making that the dash? And how about we could make the U2 really huge and negative land really small? I think he was just kind of joking, you know, like, because of course you wouldn't really do that because that would be insane, right? But of course, when we saw it, we said, that's great, genius, you know, yes, that's what we're going to do. This is even better. We're going to make it look like something it isn't. As it turns
0: out, this particularly mischievous release would have a long-lasting effect on the group. It didn't take long for U2's management to respond.
1: And it came out, and two weeks after it came out, or I think maybe it was less, maybe 10 days after it came out, U2's record label and their publisher, uh, at the instigation of U2's manager, we only found that out about... 15 years later, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, they sued us for copyright infringement, trademark infringement. Uh, It has lots of swearing on it, courtesy of Casey Kasem. So they sued us for defamation of character for associating this uh, foul language with the clean cut image of the band U2. They sued us for failure to uh, get a license to do a cover version of a song because we changed the lyrics. You can do a cover version and just pay a licensing fee, but if you change the lyrics, you have to get permission. And they also sued us for fraud, saying it was a get-rich quick scheme intended to dupe millions of innocent U2 fans into, you know, buying this record so we could make, you know, lots of money. So they threw everything they could think of at us. We had to really look at what we were doing even more deeply than we ever had, you know, and really examine if it was worth the fight you know do we really want to destroy our lives and lose the tiny bit of money we might be making and we you know we were going to lose a lot by choosing to fight it but we we really felt like it was a you know it was it was a fight that needed to happen because at the time there was nobody making any smart thoughtful cultural arguments about this from a progressive point of view it was just lawyers and it was just so it was just all very conservative, you know, thinking around money, profit, and ownership in ways that just weren't culturally very very smart. And we'd been handed this amazing opportunity because we'd been sued on behalf of the largest rock band on the planet Earth. So we thought, well, maybe we could use this as a platform to talk about this stuff. And that turned into an odyssey that took up the next four or five years of all of our lives. I could say literally every day of my life for the next four or five years, literally, I was dealing with some uh, aspect of it. The FBI got involved. There were threats made against Casey. We tricked U2's guitarist, The Edge, into an interview. He didn't know who Anyway, all kinds of stuff. It's all documented in a book we put out called Fair Use, the story of the letter U and the numeral two, which actually shows you the behind the scenes, faxes, lawsuits, press releases, phone calls, transcriptions, everything you're never supposed to see when these cases settle out of court is all there in the book. In short chapters, so it makes good bathroom reading. Ultimately, the
0: band settled out of court and their album was withdrawn, but that was only the beginning of the battle. Negative land only settled because there was literally no way for the group to afford to fight the charges in court. They wished to argue that their appropriation fell under fair use, that they were creating art from appropriation the same way that other artists had for years. Andy Warhol's famous works were commentaries on consumerism and pop culture. How could that instance be okay? but Negative Land's work be considered illegal. The experience with U2 ended up having the opposite effect on the band than what was intended.
1: It's been endlessly fascinating. And then when we got, you know, actually sued for doing it, it politicized us more. It, it actually made us kind of bear down on wanting, being more committed to doing this work than ever before. And uh, uh, it certainly kept it really, really interesting. <laughs> While Negative Land has always been
0: interested in culture and consumerism, the legal proceedings brought to light the complicated matter of copyright and fair use, which became a new focus for Mark. Copyright is meant to protect the owner of an original work of authorship. In the United States, it's defined as such a work, quote, fixed in a tangible medium of expression, end quote. It covers all works, whether published or unpublished, Now, it doesn't protect facts, ideas, methods of operation. Some of those can be protected under other means, like trademarks or patents. As soon as you have your original work in a fixed, tangible form, it's protected by copyright. That tangible form doesn't have to be a piece of paper. It can be code. The law provides for protection of works that require a machine or device in order for someone to see or experience it. Registering a copyright is a way of ensuring protection of your work. Technically, your work is protected even without registration, but registering creates an official legal document that establishes your authorship in case you should ever have to pursue a claim of infringement against someone else. If you were to create an original work but not register the copyright, it's possible someone else could steal your work and register it under his or her own name, making a claim of ownership more complicated. The concept of copyright dates all the way back to 1710, and it's changed significantly over the years.
1: Yeah, it was like 12, 13, 14 years, the Statute of Queen Anne, and whenever I do lectures about this, which I've done quite a few, it's very rare that people actually know this because it sounds shocking to hear it now because copyright nowadays lasts for the life of the creator plus it 70 years, 72, 73.
0: The Statute of Anne establishes copyright lasting 14 years for new unpublished works. Works that had already been published and were under ownership of some party or another were granted 21 years of protection. Ever since copyright was established in British law, people and entities have attempted to expand its protection. According to Mark, this trend has become truly destructive, largely due to the rise of a particular type of institution.
1: This very strange creature called the corporation, and we've decided to give corporations these rights as if they're human. We give them free speech rights, what I would argue has led to the total destruction of democracy in this country. But we, we give them all these the, the perks and privileges of being a human being, none of the responsibilities. None of, you know, When a corporation does things that lead to the deaths of thousands of people, we, we, don't, we don't seem to give the corporation the death penalty, unfortunately. But because corporations are immortal, in fact, they're not like anything human at all. They, from their perspective, understandably, they want to profit from their property forever. And since we've decided that ideas are property, intellectual property, you know, it all sort of, it also, you can see how this all starts to play out in this very bizarre way um, that eventually goes kind of off the rails, uh, you know, at at this point. And that's kind of what Negative Land got drawn into was because our work does appropriate things and makes this collage uh, to, to talk about the culture and the country and the world we live in. We found that our work was kind of colliding, you know, uh, headfirst into these, these, these ideas about copyright, which had just become completely crazy, you know, just ridiculous.
0: I agree with a lot of what Mark's saying. He and I both acknowledge that copyright has an important role. People who create original works should have some measure of protection so that they can receive compensation for their work. A world without copyright could be chaotic and unfair, But so can a world with copyright that extends well beyond what its creators intended. We'll be back with more of Tech Stuff Listens to Negative Land in just a moment. Remember when I said that copyright protection originally only lasted 14 years for new works? The story has changed significantly today. In the United States, a new original work lasts the life of the author plus an additional seventy years. This has had enormous implications in the publishing, music, and artistic spheres.
1: It's a balancing act, and that's what kind of has been lost in a lot of the conversation about all this. Is that it's it's kind of treated like it's an omnipotent property right of some sort, and that's why I was saying that when copyright first began, it was an incredibly short period of time. But but the this was not some radical uh, idea that it'd be that short. in fact it was that was a conservative idea. you know that was uh, that seemed long enough you know to give you a chance to profit from your your creativity. And I should also add that just the very idea of taking the word intellectual and property and jamming them into each other to make one expression is very strange when you think about it that we've decided that ideas are things. You know, it's it's an incredibly abstract idea and it, and it only is true because we've all just sort of agreed that it's true, though so in the case of Negative Land, we decided that we didn't really like that particular uh, hallucination and we wanted to ignore it a lot.
0: This shift toward extending protection beyond the life of the creator has had other consequences as well. Corporations that own intellectual property go to great lengths to protect that property. If there's a prospect of generating revenue off of an original work, it's worth investigating how to protect it. This leads to ideas like digital rights management, which is intended to provide protection to corporations, but often has the unintended consequence of negatively impacting the honest consumer more than any pirate. As Mark explains, this is a problem that the industry itself is painfully aware of and yet isn't sure how to change.
1: I was actually at a conference on copyright law in Washington D.C. and I remember speaking to somebody who was from the RIAA. I said, "This is uh, what do you guys talk about behind closed doors, you know? Isn't it kind of bizarre that you're basically taking legal action against your customers? I mean, you don't you you, you realize that every 12, 13, 14-year-old kid growing up basically hates you?" You know, just knows the cat is out of the bag about how absolutely ugly your business is and how you take advantage of artists, et cetera, et cetera. He kind of sheepishly kind of said, "Well, yeah, we kind of look at it like chemotherapy, (laughs) and just hope that that the patient doesn't completely die, you know, given the treatment that we're giving it, you know. But yes, we're perfectly aware that this just comes off really horribly, you know. But we don't know what else to do." As Mark points
0: out, the concepts of ownership are deeply ingrained in culture and economic models. That's not to say ownership is bad, but it does complicate matters, particularly when we extend the concept of ownership to institutions that could potentially live forever. But there are limits to copyright, and not just in how long protection lasts. You don't have to wait until a work goes into public domain before you can talk about it in some other format, for example. This brings up the concept of fair use.
1: Well, here's an example. Uh, Anyone listening, I'm sure you've read a review of a book or or, or seen a review of a movie on your television or digital device. And um, that's where fair use comes into play. When you review that, you don't have to get permission to use a clip of the film. You don't have to get permission to uh, excerpt from the book. That's considered fair use. You were using someone else's intellectual property within your intellectual property to talk about that other intellectual property. Now, and so uh, fair use was trying to acknowledge that and fair use had four factors to it uh, the first one I think was you know are you are you using any bit of someone else's intellectual property the next one was you know well how much of it are you using and in what way are you are are you not transforming it in some way or changing it and What is the context in which it is reappearing? Is it in a different medium? Is it in a different market? Uh, Could there be some confusion between what you've done and, and, and the original in some way? So there's these different factors that are supposed to be weighed when the courts are looking at these things. And for many, many years, the courts didn't look at all four factors. They just looked at the first one. Did you use some of it? Well, if you did, then you're a thief, and you lose, you know, and and you're you know you're you're the, you're the bad guy here. And for many many years, that's kind of how the courts look at things, and that's why there's a lot of really bad uh, legal decisions that have been made over the years. Um, so the laws haven't changed, you know. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen any legal any smart progressive uh, legal changes to intellectual property law. Uh, there haven't been any cases that have gone to, to through the court systems to really do that. Uh, in a long, long time. And this is a big problem. Fair use is
0: something that ends up being decided in a court on a case-by-case basis. Fair use is a defense. There's no codified set of rules that lets you create a checklist to make sure you won't be sued. You could create a work that cites a pre-existing piece owned by someone else and follow all the rules and still get sued. You might eventually win that court case, but it's going to cost you just to be involved. Some entities, like YouTube, respond to copyright infringement notices by immediately taking down the infringing material. Sometimes this happens automatically, and the content owner has to flip a virtual switch to allow the other video to go back up online. So, if you create a video series in which you critique films, or television, or some other form of media, you could run into the issue of having your work taken down, even if you're following the rules. You could get that video restored if it meets fair use criteria, but it takes a lot of effort. If all original works were truly original, perhaps I would see this entire system as being tough but fair. But the truth is, no work is truly original. Creators have influences. Art doesn't bloom spontaneously in a vacuum. The real question is, to what extent does a work stand up on its own versus relying upon the pre-existing work that influenced it? That's not an easy or inexpensive question to answer.
1: This is Deprogramming from the Universal Media
0: Network. Well. As for Negative Land, they released a new album late in 2014 called It's All in Your Head. It's a collage piece that examines religious beliefs. Not necessarily specific beliefs, but why we believe things in the first place.
1: You're listening to It's All In Your Head FM, monotheism, but in stereo.
0: The project was born out of discussions within negative land itself.
1: None of us had ever talked to each other about our religious beliefs. I mean, I've known these guys, some of them since I was a teenager. And, um... We had to work all that out because in fact we don't all agree, you know, there's atheists, there's agnostic, you know, there's there's different perspectives on this and we had to be sure that that was all reflected in the work as well. Um, So that that was another really interesting kind of behind the scenes part of creating the whole thing. So we would have huge debates over single words that were being used in it. You know, one sentence, is it going to be there? Are we going to cut it out? You know, um, typical just super OCD, Negative land, you know, obsesso, you know, microscopic thinking that we, we, we do. We reach
0: to poetry, we reach to art, to try to begin to articulate what those things are. And I think that we have to acknowledge that we're in this realm when we begin to talk about those. And if we take the symbols and don't acknowledge that they're symbols, then we get into this trouble. The album is organized on a pair of CDs referred to as ACTS. If you buy the physical album, your packaging is a King James version of the Bible. There was a limited edition version packaged in copies of the Quran, but it has since sold out. While the album takes a critical look at belief systems, it also avoids passing judgment. Sections of the album explore ideas such as how the brain processes information to how cultures define and interpret beliefs. Mark explains why the group chose to package the album inside a Bible.
1: But having it inside of a Bible framed it in this way that i personally just love you know and i think all of us just love the idea that you're using the bible as a repurposed found object and also anyway, way that the bible is the liner notes you know to the record
0: <laughs> i've listened to the album in full and found it provocative there were times that it made me think and times when i had a very strong emotional reaction to what was going on in the album it's the sort of reaction i imagine many artists hope for when they create their works and it marked a very different experience to listening to audio entertainment than what I'd become used to. It's rare these days that I'll sit down to listen to an album in full. I'm more likely to listen to my entire music collection on shuffle, or even a larger collection streaming online following some cryptic algorithm that supposedly anticipates what I'll want to hear next. But that's not how Negative Land intends you to listen to their work.
1: I actually, when I give people copies of our our music, And I say, you know, I know it's a lot to ask in this day and age, but wait until I don't care if it's a year from now. Wait until you have an actual hour of your time to do nothing else except just listen to this thing from beginning to end. And um, and I think you might enjoy it. I said, if you just have it on in the background or just listen to separate tracks, I said, it won't even make sense. It'll probably even just be annoying. And so it's all in your head. Is like that. It's two complete, it's it's one complete work. It's got two uh, acts to it, but it's very much designed to be listened to in its entirety. We had a huge debate about whether or not to put track points in it for, for downloading and for CDs because it kind of suggests or encourages people to put it into random shuffle play. But we also don't like the idea of trying to control someone's experience that much and just have it be one long track. Plus, I know people will just break it up into tracks anyway.
0: Negative Land's It's All in Your Head is available for purchase from their website, negativeland.com. That's N-E-G-A-T-I-V-L-A-N-D.com. That wraps up the episode Tech Stuff listens to Negative Land. It was a really cool experience to get to talk to someone and their approach to making sort of transgressive music uh, that has a real point of view. It was uh, something that I don't get to do that often. And big thanks to Noel Brown of, uh, you know, Ridiculous History and and Stuff They Don't Want You to Know fame, because he's the guy who got me in touch with Negative Land in the first place. So big thanks to him. And that wraps up this episode. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes, please reach out to me. Do so on Twitter. The handle for the show is Tech Stuff HSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon.